Americans. This is the Urbane Cowboys podcast with Josiah Neely of R Street Institute and Doug McCullough of Lone Star Policy Institute. Good day. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Urbane Cowboys podcast. I'm Josiah Neely with the R Street Institute. And I'm Doug McCullough with the Lone Star Policy Institute. So over the past week, Texas has really taken a beating in all sorts of different ways. Millions of people uh, have been without power. Uh, Some have been without heat. Uh, Some have been without water service. And uh, there's all sorts of different finger pointing and uh, attempts to try and figure out what's going on going on. I'm here in Austin. I'm safe. I'm okay. Doug, my intrepid co-host, is in Houston. And uh, I don't believe... Doug, did you uh, resort to cannibalism? Have you resorted to cannibalism yet? No, I came close, but no. Um, lost power for maybe 48 hours. I never quite lost water, but we've, uh, we have not actually engaged in cannibalism. Okay. And so we wanted to talk uh, about this and talk through some of the issues involved. And to do that, we brought back Josh Rhodes, prior guest of the show, who's a research associate with the Weber Energy Group uh, associated with the University of Texas at Austin. So uh, welcome, Josh. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you are you are also here in Austin with us, also surviving. Yeah, we lost power uh, for a couple days um, there. We're we're located at the bottom of a hill, so we haven't lost water yet. I think it's just all kind of running down here, so we'll 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 see how that goes. But you know, all the other things like internet and the ability to drive around town are also kind of gone. Yes, yeah, uh, they've been they've been kind of spotty. Yeah, the roads are not great. Um, certainly, uh, you know, I think I saw a video online that showed the Texas Arkansas border. In fact, there was a certain street where one side of the street was in Texas and the other side was in Arkansas. And uh, you could tell because the, the Arkansas side was plowed and clean and the Texas side, people were, was covered in snow and ice and people were driving around. Uh, it's not something that uh, we have a lot of history. Uh, it's, a, it's a rare occurrence, I think, uh, snow and ice in general, and we're probably not as set up for that. At least, certainly with the roads, and and also with other parts of our infrastructure, I guess. Let's let's just start with a kind of description of what happened in terms of the electric grid. Uh, you know, take take us through that. How did we get to a situation where a bunch of people uh, didn't have didn't have power? It's a pretty it's a, it's a it's a couple, it's a complex problem of you know a couple different energy grids uh, interacting with each other. And both being pushed kind of to their beyond what they were really designed to handle. And so, I mean, I mean, step one, like with with electricity grids, you have to perfectly match supply and demand. So anytime you're using a computer, flip on a light switch, um, you know, stream some Netflix, whatever, some power plant somewhere is generating the energy that allows you to do that at that exact same time. And um, if supply and demand ever get out of balance very far, I mean, I'm talking like just you know, half a, like not, well, just, you know, hardly at all. If they get out of balance, the whole thing can come crashing down because we've designed our system, you know, the electricity we consume to, um, you know, to be used within a very narrow quality and a very narrow band. And so if that, if that, um, if we, if we violate that band, then the entire grid could go black, which would be, you know, absolutely, um, terrible. But, 
So what we have right now is in, you know, in Texas, we, you know, I'm, I look outside my window and I still see snow on the ground and it, you know, it, that snow fell on Monday and, you know, we're recording this on Thursday. And so like snow just doesn't happen and stay in Texas that long. Like that's just not something that, that really happens here. But, um, you know, it's kind of a bit of a, a testament to, you know, how different the weather has been and what that weather is, what, what's happened with that weather is that it has just created such a high demand for both natural gas and for electricity, um, that both of those systems aren't able to provide it. So about, about 60% of homes in Texas use electricity to, to heat, the other 40% use natural gas. Um, and I'll take one step back and I'll say, so the Texas grid is basically set up to meet our summer peak demand. So, you know, that's, you know, when people think Texas, they don't think snow and ice, they think, you know, well, cowboys and deserts, but you know, they, they think of hot and, you know, that's what we're famous for, famous for our summers. And so our grid's built around being able to supply everyone air conditioning at 4 PM in August when, you know, no one wants to be outside and everyone wants to be inside, you know, um, in front of their AC. And so, but the difference between then, why can we deliver, you know, that much energy at that point, but yet we're having trouble doing it, you know, now, um, is that in the summer, there's not as much competition for natural gas. So like we, about half of our power plants consume natural gas, but in the summer, nobody's home wants natural gas. You don't want really hot water. You don't, you don't really want to cook. You don't, you don't, you don't really, you don't want to heat your home for sure. And so all that gas can flow to natural gas power plants, but the difference now is that, um, you know, and what's happening today is that like, you know, homes are getting priority in terms of natural gas instead of it going to, to power plants. And so we're just not able, the natural gas system is not able to meet the demands of both heating in Texas and the power plants at the same time. And so when, and to, you know, go ahead and kick us while we're down, it got so cold out in West Texas, we've had, you know, issues with natural gas infrastructure, be it, you know, wells or gathering lines, you know, themselves freezing up. We've had some power plants that have had cooling water intake or sensor uh, freeze ups and malfunctions. And so, you know, when we needed, you know, the most energy from both of these grids, um, you know, we basically, they were not able to live, to deliver. We, we pushed both of these systems that are more interrelated or more linked together in the winter than they are in the summer, we push both of them beyond their breaking point. And so thus we've ended up with, you know, millions of Texans without power for multiple days in a row. Uh, I think, you know, whenever you have something that goes seriously wrong, as you have in this situation, uh, people kind of want to know who to, who, who to blame. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of pre-existing hobby horses that people kind of trot out. Um, so one thing that you have seen a lot of is uh, is the argument that well this the blackouts are the result of of wind power the failure of wind power um, I think uh, Governor Abbott was on TV talking about uh, you know the the Green New Deal and how this shows that the Green New Deal would be uh, uh, bad for the nation but you also had like you know other folks, the Wall Street Journal, other folks have said this is this is a result of of wind power, unreliable wind power. Uh, what what is you know what like what is your take on that? Well, what I want to know is in a, in a state that's been under GOP control for thirty years, who snuck a Green New Deal under our nose? <laughs> because I I don't see how that happened here, like. <laughs> Um, so I don't even know why that's part of this conversation because it's, you know, 
private companies build power plants in Texas, and they only build them in Texas if they think they can make money in our in our market. And so, you know, as the prices of technologies have changed, as like you know what types of energy that um, you know consumers want to to buy has changed. I mean, that has spurred these you know business decisions. Have there been subsidies? Yes, of course there have been subsidies. Um, you know, we give tax breaks to other sources of energy too. And so it's like, it's, it's too simplistic really to say, and, and, and that's kind of like, like the long-term look at it. But in terms of like, you know, what didn't show up like at 4 a.m. on Monday, I mean, so, you know, when, when ERCOT, you know, does plans for winter peaking events, I mean, they, 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 they make a determination. It's like, you know, okay, we know we have this much capacity of this certain technology, say at wind or coal or natural gas or whatever. This is how much we expect to be online. Cause at any given point, like, you know, the, you can't control the wind, obviously you can't control the sun either. Um, but there's going to be some level of even, you know, normal power plants go down for maintenance or they have, they have troubles, you know, just like, you know, you could, your car could break down as you're driving down the road tomorrow. I mean, it just, it happens moving parts, things just don't work sometimes. And so, but when they were looking at, okay, how much are we going to rely on wind? They were really only relying on wind to provide about 10% of our, you know, energy at any given, at any given time. And yeah, I mean, there have been some wind turbines out in West Texas that have that have iced up, that have that have failed, that have not been able to to produce. And we've and some in some part in some in some parts of this, I guess you know, normally we think of peak demand, we think of a couple hours. Now this is going on a couple days. This is like you know, time stretching like in COVID times again. I guess whatever. But basically, trying to say is like during that time, wind did perform pretty good during certain times, not great during other times. But I, I think the the thing is, if you look at the amount of megawatts that we were looking for, other sources, uh, particularly our thermal fleet, didn't meet expectations. You know, we rely, ERCOT said we're going to count on 10% of our wind capacity to be, or we're going to count on, on wind to provide 10% of our energy. Or we're going to provide, you know, um, count on our thermal fleet to provide, you know, 90%. Let me break in yeah. there. What's to, to somebody like me who isn't up to speed on all the fancy lingo, what's mm-hmm. a thermal fleet? So our thermal fleet is just, um, it, it, I mean, it's basically consists of our natural gas power plants, our coal power plants, and our nuclear power plants. They're basically anything that burns something to make electricity. It's called thermal tot. Um, and so at about, you know, between 30 to 40% um, of our thermal fleet, you know, was offline during this time. So, I mean, it, it, it also did not perform well. And some, some, some of the reasons it was offline because we weren't able to deliver fuel to them. Some because, um, they tripped offline for freezing issues. Like, but again, down plants, a down plant, it's not making electricity and it's, you know, it's contributing to, you know, people not having energy at their homes and not having heat. Yeah. So th- there are two, um, I think more, uh, I don't know if sophisticated is the right word, but you know, more, more nuanced arguments that I've heard on the wind issue. Uh, one has to do with, uh, you know, okay, you, you know, whatever, whatever was going on at 4am on Monday was going on at 4am on Monday. But the reason why there wasn't more uh, thermal capacity out there is because uh, we've seen a lot of retirements over the past decade or so uh, at, you know, particularly of coal plants as, uh, and at the same time that you've seen a lot of new wind coming online and there's arguments about subsidies or other, you know, preferences 
for wind power. And so, you know, maybe that is, that is why wind is really responsible is because they've kind of crowded out through lower prices, you know, through lower prices in normal periods, they've crowded out and forced out of the market, um, you know, these other uh, thermal plants. Uh, and so when the crisis point came, there just wasn't the proper margin to, to deal with that. What, uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, any, anytime a, a new resource is, is on the system, like, um, you know, it has a potential to beat out an, an, an existing one. Um, but I mean, I, I just kind of go back to like the, the, you know, er, you know, ERCOT wasn't relying on that resource necessarily for this, um, for this event. Um, and, or relying very heavily on that resource for this event. So, I mean, if, I mean, the, the grid operator could have, you know, if, if they foresaw things retiring that, um, for economic reasons, like if, if, if they had seen, oh, this is going to create a reliability issue, then they have mechanisms to keep those, those plants online. They can do out of market payments, like reliability must run contracts, link technical lingo for, we're going to make sure that you stay online. Um, but when we're, when we're running our scenarios of, you know, what is a reasonable winter peak to expect, you know, it, it doesn't, it didn't, it, those, those resources weren't needed. And so like, because we're a market-based system, you know, they were allowed to, to, to retire in lieu of, um, more efficient or, you know, more, um, um, you know, lower cost, uh, resources. The, the, so the problem is, is that like, this weather event and the resulting demand for for electricity and, and and natural gas and how those are are connected is just so far beyond you know what you know our historical data gives gives us. I mean, we had a similar issue in in two thousand eleven, but this is this is lar- this is bigger and like it's colder and wider. I mean, I've never seen all two hundred fifty four counties of Texas be under a winter storm warning at the same time. I mean, that just yeah. It just doesn't happen, but I mean, it has. So I mean, we got to figure out what are we going to do with it? You, you mentioned a couple of things I want to ask about. One was you, you said something about a, an out of market payment. Is this, this idea? I mean, that's, that sounds like that that is maybe some type of importing of energy. Cause one of the co- critiques I've seen is, well, Texas has this independent grid. It can't import energy. Are you saying it, it was that a, a reference to actually being able to, in some circumstances, import energy? Well, no, it's, um, a, an out-of-market payment would be like, so if a power plant can't make enough money in our wholesale market system, our energy-only market in either selling into the day-ahead market or selling on the real-time market, you know, they'll make an economic decision to retire, but an out-of-market payment would be, you know, we're, well, we're going to pay you a you know, some extra money just so that you stick around for reliability issues. We do have some connections to other grids, but they're, they're, um, they go through a DC. They, so the electricity system is alternating current and, but we have some direct, we we can have some DC ties with other grids and and the, the federal energy regulatory commission, which does not regulate Texas, but does regulate, you know, the rest of, of the grids in the, in the U S has deemed that okay. So we can, and, and the reason Texas isn't regulated by this federal body is, you know, our grid doesn't cross state lines and it doesn't trigger the interstate commerce clause. And so there's, there's that, but then they've, so they've decided that these DC ties are okay. And that's just, that's just lawyers agreeing on something. And 
Well, and, and, and we talked about this just before the show started. Uh, you know, other areas around Texas were pretty battered as well. So this, so the idea that Texas was suffering through this because we couldn't import electricity, that's probably not the answer either, is it? Yeah, I mean, the grid to the north of us, the Southern Power Pool, which goes basically from Oklahoma to North Dakota, they're also having blackouts. I mean, they weren't as bad as ours or as widespread, and I think they were actually able to roll them. But um, And then Louisiana was also having um, issues uh, with power. They've been having issues with power the, the last few days. So like, um, you know, our immediate neighbors necessarily, you know, wouldn't really have been able to, to help us out. So, I mean, if, if, if we're going to have that conversation about importing power, moving it around, we'd probably need to talk about it on a continent wide scale. Okay. And then I've seen other people try to make a case, um, that somehow this is about the, the market design. Um, is there, you know, is there, is there a case to be made that the fundamental design of the Texas electricity market is responsible for the events that happened this week, for the poor planning, for the lack of winterization? Is it, does it have anything to do with the, the market design itself? How does it function normally and how did it function this week? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the way the Texas market is set up is it's, it's, uh, it's, it's called an energy only market, which means that power plants only make money in our market if they are generating energy and selling that on the wholesale market. There are other grids in other parts of the country that have what they call capacity markets, which um, you know power plants can get paid for basically just existing. And in theory, a power plant could never produce energy, and it could still get enough, and it could still get paid just for for existing for for being there, just in case it needed to be called on. And that's why it's called capacity, not an energy market. It's a you know, it's, but the thing is, the, the the thing about that is though, is it like you know, each of each of the different types of, of markets, you know, have a, you know, a planning target. Um, and when, again, when, when, when we looked at our winter needs, like what we thought we would need, um, the, the ERCOT, you know, thought we were okay, given, given, given the load that we planned for. So even if we had had a different type of market, we probably would have been planning for the same amount of capacity that we have right now. I mean, it'd have been a bit of a different story if ERCOT had said, oh, geez, we don't have enough power plants like to, we don't, we think we're going to be short going into the winter time. Like that would have been a different story, but you know, what they were planning for, which is, would be a standard, you know, planning scenario across any type of grid, be it vertically integrated or a capacity market or all of these any other types of things, you would have been planning for the same event. And so you would have roughly gotten probably a similar amount of power plants on the system itself. And so I, I don't think that we would have magically had a whole bunch of extra capacity around just if our, we had a different type of market. And, and just on that point, you 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 mentioned you mentioned before this idea of the what do you call it the out of market payment. So I mean that would be one way to sort of almost blend the, blend the concepts where you'd have a, a market for electricity, but you would be paying. It seems if I'm understanding the concept right, you would be paying some generators to exist to to have the the capacity, of, I guess surge capacity, if you will. Is that am I understanding the concept right? Yeah, I mean it's kind of like a case by case capacity market by any other name. I mean it's it's it, 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 it but it would it would it would um it would be an understanding that it would be a short term fix. It's not something that like it, it would be something if like okay, you know, for the next 2 years while this this other resource is getting built, 
like we're going to make sure that this one sticks around, even though it wouldn't be able to make money. We just think we need it for reliability. But it's not something that you would do that for 30 years for. That would become a capacity market and or I'd basically become like a like a regulated rate of return type thing. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't it'd be outside of the, uh, you know, the um, I guess the uh, the idea that our market's built on. Yeah, I, if we had had a capacity market, then, uh, you know, given that the issue is uh, either plants can't get at, you know, natural gas or they're, they can't operate because they're frozen, presumably some of, the company, uh, some of the plants that had won the capacity auctions and that we had been paying money to would still not have been able to deliver, right? So, I mean, you'd be in the same situation except <laughs> you would have already paid people to do something that they weren't able to do. Yeah, so I mean, you'd have this probably the same amount of capacity, and it still wouldn't be able to 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 make energy. So I mean, that yeah, that 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 gets to like an issue there with like you know getting fuel to you know to those power plants, regardless of of what of what mechanism you um, designed to incentivize those power plants existing in in the first place. I mean. I think one of the issues, and we can talk about it more, is you know might be that you know these power plants don't have firm contracts. They um, for natural gas, they have interruptible contracts generally. Right. And so, uh, if I'm a power producer and I have a, if uh, sorry, if I'm a natural gas producer and I have a bunch of interruptible contracts, like I'm going to do some kind of you know calculation based on how often do I think I might not be able to deliver natural gas for at a for a certain price and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going to invest in my infrastructure accordingly. If I had a bunch of firm contracts that had like big penalties for not being able to deliver on, I might pay a little more attention to my infrastructure to make sure it was more robust in, you know, times like this, perhaps. L- let me switch gears a little bit to talk about the, uh, the way cities uh, in particular, but some of the utilities uh, dealt with the rolling blackout issue here in Austin. Apparent, there was a plan, I think, to say, okay, if you if you face a situation like this where there's not enough supply to meet demand, you're going to do rolling blackouts. Uh, and I think the city had a plan where you were supposed any individual location was supposed to be off for no more than than 40 minutes. Uh, you know, hopefully less than that. Like you're off for 15 minutes or 30 minutes, and then you come back on. And they put someone else out, and it seems that that did not happen. Uh, it seems uh, that what happened instead is, you know, a large part of the city went out and stayed out, and other parts of the city, uh, including myself, you know, never lost power at all or lost it only briefly. What, you know, to the extent that you uh, know, what what do you think went wrong there? Yeah, so I mean that's you know that's an issue that hits pretty <laughs> it is pretty hard at home because I mean I, I you know I was one of those that lost it for 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 you know multiple days at a time. Wow. When so when when the grid operator um, assesses the situation and says, okay, we do not have enough power plants online to meet the demand that you know we have right now or it's coming. They in turn order the transmission and distribution utilities, which include place the uh, folks like Austin Energy, CPS San Antonio, Encore, Centerpoint, other things perhaps um, in the in the in the competitive choice regions of Texas. They order them to reduce their load by a certain percentage. Um, 
and or a, cer- a certain number of megawatts or a certain number of percentage. And it's up to those transmission and distribution utilities on who to turn off and um, and who to who to leave on, and then if possible, how to roll those uh, outages through their system. What were but e- but each of those u- transmission distribution utilities they they have a certain number of circuits on them that they want to keep online basically at all costs. And so these are like hospitals and uh, emergency services and police and um, other critical infrastructure, uh, water treatment plants, sewer treatment plants, things that you know we we really don't want to go offline because think it would be a bad it could be a bad situation for you know life and um, life and limb. Um, and what they're telling us is that when they left, when they turned off load and left on all of their critical circuits, that they just did not have any more power to allocate. And so there was no one that they could turn off so that they could turn someone else on because if they turned off anybody, it would have turned off one of these critical loads. That's definitely and also so that that's you know what they're what what they're telling us i mean i will say like it it would have been nice if they if they knew that like if they they're like hey we're gonna do rolling blackouts it's gonna last 40 minutes then they go through the process and they're like actually no this is gonna last we can't we're not able to roll this is what it's gonna be for the foreseeable future like that would have been a nice heads up to have like i'll there was some miscommunication there i will definitely i will definitely give them that yeah and uh, some of it, I mean, obviously, some of this, some of this uh, happened in the middle of the night. But there was, I think, a little bit of warning that we were in a serious situation because they they knew about the the weather coming. So in that sense, they they probably could have stood to be a little bit more prepared, prepared or communicative at least. Yeah, I I mean, it's it's. You know, it's tough because, I mean, I've remembered times when, like, you know, schools have called off school because we think a winter weather storm's coming and then all of a sudden it's 70 degrees by the end of the afternoon and the, the, yeah. some level of calling wolf that, like, right. so, I mean, I, it's it's a tough, it's a tough call. Like, I mean, yeah. Should we have known more? Sure. Yes, we should have. Maybe we should just always err on that side. So one other one of the things that I've seen people talk about and I find a little bit more credible is this idea that there was a failure to winterize and that we, you know, you could look at much further into the North in the U S and into Canada and they deal with harsh winter uh, weather on a regular basis. It's, it's easy enough to just say, Oh, we should weatherize. What can you talk a little bit about maybe the economics of that, the incentives around uh, how do we get, better weatherization of our energy portfolio or is this something where we incentivize it do we need to mandate it talk a little bit about that yeah so um so yes i mean so so part of the reason for the failure were things like you know freezing of natural gas infrastructure or you know freezing of water intake cooling water intakes for 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 power plants but i mean like you said i mean you know they're they're you know, nat- natural gas is produced in North Dakota, and it definitely gets colder than it got here the past ways. And you know, they have wind farms and nuclear power plants in you know Minnesota and places like that. So I mean, there's, um, you know, th- these types of systems you know can operate um, in those conditions if if they're built for it, um, if they're if they're designed for it. Now, now doing so costs money, and so it, you know, it likely costs you know more money than you know the way that we've done it. Um, 
And you know, when you're when you're looking forward, there there is a cost benefit analysis that companies do is like, well, okay, it costs this much maybe to to winterize or to you know design my plant this way. And what's the chance that I will actually need that in infrastructure, need that that weatherization? We did see so like we we had a um we had a pretty bad cold snap in in 2011. Again, it wasn't as bad um, as as this one. Um, and we did have some of the same issues. We had some water intakes freeze. We had some natural gas um, issues. And the uh, the various you know agencies that you know regulate those, be they the Public Utility Commission or the Railroad Commission, you know they they did reports and 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 I there was and then the NERC, which is the National Energy Reliability Council. I think I got that acronym right. Um, yeah, uh, Texas Grid is not under FERC jurisdiction, but it is under NERC jurisdiction. It's it's kind of it. Anyways, um, it's a little confusing, but but that's just um, that's just how it is. And and they did kind of you know a study and said you know here are the best practices uh, when it you know comes to weatherization or winterization and. But when it when the rubber hit the road, those practices were made voluntary. They were not made mandatory in Texas, and so it you know appears to be that you know a lot of power plants perhaps did not um, you know do uh, you know did not um, institute the um, you know the the weatherization procedures and things that that um, that they were you know made voluntary to do. I, I think I think they had to submit a report on it, but maybe they didn't have to follow through on it or something like that. It's that the honor system. Yeah. Oh, well, let me ask you this, see if you have a perspective on this or not. So one thing that I, I know has kind of gotten people's hackles up is that the ERCOT board of directors includes a number of people who do not live in Texas, right? Uh, in fact, I think some of them may not even live in the United States. And uh, I, I've seen that there are calls, there's legislation to try and say that the board needs to live in Texas. Is there a real value add there for the the board members? I, I know in, in general, you know, not all, not all boards are created equal for one thing. Uh, but uh, I don't know what, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or if it's, uh, if you, you know, if you, if you don't really uh, have a settled opinion or it's just not an important issue, you can say that too, but. Well, I mean, I, I don't think that that's really, you know, a, I mean, I think it's somewhat of a, of a, of a, of a false flag type thing. It's like, it's a, there, there are not that many people, um, out there that really understand how grids operate and how these systems work. And so if you can, and I'm just not saying there's not a bunch of smart people in Texas, but like, for for something this complicated and something this big, I mean, you want the best minds in the room that you can possibly get. So, I mean, if you if you limit the the pool of talent that you can pull from, I mean, you might be you know kind of cutting yourself off at the knee if you're if you're not able to to have the you know the people on the board that um, <clears throat> that um, you know th that kind of know what's going on. I mean, it's not like we have you know dozens and dozens of grids in Texas, right? There's like we have one, and you know there's you know f 
a, a dozen or so sprinkled kind of around, you know, the U.S. And then there, there's what some there's some in other countries. And so, you know, to find people who have like this intimate knowledge of kind of how the whole inner workings of that, that's going to be a relatively small number of people. So, I mean, I don't I don't think that it it's it's not like that if those people would make different decisions if they had, oh, I'm worried that my power is going to get cut off or something like that. I mean, that, that, that's that's not how they would be thinking in this case. All right. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else if we try to like think towards the future? Um, obviously, you know, it's it's a little bit an oddity in that we probably don't expect things like this to occur that often. So, you know, whatever whatever the next crisis is, will probably come from some other direction. But are there are there other things that we should be doing to try and increase the resilience of the grid um, that that you know might make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are like, I mean, I mean, I, I think you touched on it. There is like, we we need to make you know a decision as a society. Like, do do we think that you know this type of thing is going to happen again or happen more frequently? You know, if we knew something like this was going to happen every two or three years, then we would have done all of those things to like make sure, and we'd all you know be going about our our merry. Well, you know, we'd be playing out in the snow with our kids. Like, it's not you know, things would be fine. But, you know, if we think, if we think this is a once in 30 year event, if we think it's a once in a 120 year event, like I think I've seen some numbers tossed around. I mean, yeah, we have to make a decision. I mean, how much insurance are we going to buy? It's a, you know, it's, it's a classic thing we have to do in a lot of aspects of our life. All right. Our guest today has been Joshua Rhodes. Josh, thank you for joining us. And to all of our listeners, uh, stay safe. Thanks for having me.